Greetings, brethren, and welcome to Sabbath Services, being broadcast from CGI Burlington. We're looking forward to sharing our service with you today. Speaker today is Deacon Jan Kowalczyk, and he'll be giving a sermon entitled, God's Justice. Just doing our sound check before we go live. Please confirm when you can hear the piano and my voice. Sister Christy for confirmation on the piano. Good Sabbath afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Sabbath services here with us, uh, live streaming from Burlington, Ontario congregation, where we're still not meeting together yet. We hope and pray that your Sabbath has been a good one thus far, and we're looking forward to sharing the service with you. It is the uh, fifth month, the 25th day of the fifth month, and we are exactly five weeks away from the Feast of Trumpets, hard to believe. Uh, so greetings to everyone. Welcome to our, all of our guests. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome as well. We'll get things started with an opening prayer. We'll call upon Landon Palmatier for that. Dear God, thank you for gathering us all here together safely today. Please bless the service that we are about to embark on. Please be with the speaker and everyone involved in it. We pray that all the technology will go well and that we're able to really learn and grasp everything that the message entails. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Landon. We'll get things started from a uh, worship uh, platform here with the first hymn. Will be on page 224 in your hymn books, but as is uh, typical, we will flash the words on your screen. Let's all sing together. Praise him, praise him.
very great beginning, God. I can only imagine how God hears all of our, our voices coming together. It certainly is an honor to praise and worship him together. We'll now move into our scripture reading. Uh, Brother Daniel Kowalczyk from Burlington. Good afternoon, brethren. The scripture reading today is taken from Exodus 7, verses 1 to 5. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. We'll now move into just a few announcements that we have today, not too many. Uh, last uh, Yesterday afternoon on the news of the work that is uh, distributed from Tyler, there was a feast survey that we've been asked to, to fill out, uh, specifically for, for those here in North America. Um, I did post that uh, for those of you who are on Slack. I did post that in the general channel on Slack. And it also did come in the news of the work email that you have gotten yesterday. So please take some time. The deadline is the beginning of September, but if you can get to that as quickly as possible, just to allow them uh, some uh, planning so they know uh, how many people are going to which site, uh, those that remain open. Of course, you recall that the uh, destination sites have all been closed, but there are several uh, local fee sites that are, are continuing to be open, including uh, the Canadian one up in Collingwood, Ontario. So thank you for, for helping out there. A uh, reminder that the, uh, we came through the end of Judges this week on the Wednesday studies. It's hard to believe that uh, uh, through the book of Judges, I did go back and check out all of the books that have been done. And uh, we're up to, I believe it's nine books that uh, we have done. There's a few that are partially done. You'll recall we did the second half of Isaiah and we've gone through the book, the first and second books of the five books of Psalms. Uh, we will have a two week hiatus and pick up the Wednesday studies in on uh, Wednesday, September 2nd at 730, where we'll go back to the uh, third book of Psalms and pick that up then. Certainly appreciate all the work that goes into those studies. And that is it as far as announcements go. Uh, we will have one more hymn, again, with the words being broadcast on your screen. Uh, before we go into the sermon, the sermon will be brought to us by our brother and deacon from our congregation, Jan Kowalczyk. He will be speaking on a topic called God's Justice. That's God's Justice. Looking forward to that from Deacon Jan. Before that, we will sing page 91 in our hymn books, I Am Thine, O Lord. That's page 91 and then our brother for the message.
Good afternoon, everybody. Happy Sabbath. Blessed Sabbath to, to all of you. And thank you again for tuning in for another Sabbath day as we can spend together here. So as you hear the title of my message, I'll be talking today about God's justice. And I'll go right away to the scripture today. So please open your Bible. Please turn your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 9 as a starting scripture today. Turn your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 9. I'll pick it up right there at verse 23, breaking into the context. Jeremiah chapter 9. I'll give you extra few seconds. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Very interesting part of the scriptures here. So it says like this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not, let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories, glories in this. That he understands and knows me that I am the Lord. And that might sound very simplistic. Like we all know that our God is the Lord. But it's way more to that. One thing is to acknowledge that this particular God is your God. But there is way more than that. And here it's laid down for us. It's very simple way. That he understands and knows me that I am the Lord. And here it goes. Exercising, number one, loving kindness. Number two, judgment. And number three, righteousness in the earth. For in this... I delight, says the Lord. Just think for a moment. It's not so much, you know, how long or how often do you pray. That's always important. You know, whether you lift your, your hands to heaven or whether you go on your knees, it's important. But God says, you want to glory. Don't glory in your riches. Don't, worry. Don't glory in your accomplishments, whatever you do in this earth. It's great to accomplish things on this earth. But if you really want to glory, God says, Glory in these three, three, three things. Specifically, that you know and that you understand me, that you understand my mind, what I'm trying to accomplish here. And one of these things, God says, is my judgment and my righteousness. So if I would ask you, how well do we understand our God? How well do we know, do we understand our God? Or how would you describe your God? And I know that many, which, which, if you will try to, come, let's say, make a list. Let's say we try to describe. Many would say that, let's say, God is love. God is faithful. God is righteous. God never changes. God is self-sufficient. God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is wise. God is perfect. God is good. God is merciful. God is just. We can go on and on and on, right? But now, if we just take out one part, whatever we just mentioned here, just one singular attribute, that will require uh, many, many hours, countless hours, not just to study it, but properly understand it. And thanks for the word of God that we have. God gave us the way how we can know him and how we can understand him. And, you know, we need to take into the account 
that our minds, our brains, they're limited. So we need to take this thing into account, that we can compare ourselves to God. His ways, his judgments, he's above everything. We just try to understand to some degree, as much as we can, about his mind. That's what he wants. And as much as we try to do this thing, he's delighted in this thing. God is very delighted in this thing. So now, I would like to talk about God's justice. And the reason why I decided this topic, because everyone, everyone talks about social justice. You turn on TV, you know, not the social media. Most people won't talk about the social justice. Social justice is all over the place. I would say that probably after the virus, COVID-19, that's the second most mentioned, not just the word, but the issues that are tackling on the, on the world stage right now. Well, no matter what parts of earth you may live, people like to talk about the social justice. And even brethren in church, in our church, like to talk and bring this subject up, talk about the social justice. But the question is, we can talk about it whatever we want. We can talk about all these issues whatever we want. But the question is, is it possible? Is it possible to properly understand social justice if we don't understand God's justice? Let me say it again. Is it possible to properly understand what is social justice if we don't fully or truly understand what is God's justice? Hopefully you have absorbed it by now, right? There are two different things. We might think that in my imaginations, what the social justice is supposed to look like might be totally different what is in this Bible, what God is about, about his justice. We can be on the opposite course, on the opposite way, actually heading each other. Because my imaginations and your imaginations and somebody else's imaginations about this topic, how the social justice is supposed to be like. What is, what is the actually true definition, what the social justice is supposed to be? Because let's say, what is social justice in Canada, it'll be totally differently defined what is social justice in China. And what is social justice in China will be totally different what is social justice in Russia. And all of the social justice we combine together will be totally different what is God's justice in the Bible. And of all of these things, the most important thing that we need to know and understand, okay, what is God's justice. And then we should glory about our knowledge, whatever we have it, our understanding, not the other way around it. So now, what does it mean when we say that God is just? What do we mean by that? When we say or we read a passage in the Bible, it says, God is just. Let me give you four points. So my points and you please to welcome to agree, or you please to welcome to disagree. I'll go them very slowly. So either if you take the notes, you can just make the notes, or you can make uh, mental notes. But on the end, I'll ask you, after each of this statement, I'll ask you, do you believe it or you don't believe it? Okay. So when we say that God is just, we mean several things. And 
you know, just, just a warning. This topic about God's justice, I cannot cover it in just the one hour segment. It's impossible. As I said, it takes countless of hours to go deep, deep, deep into it. So it will be just, just scratching the surface. But let's say, what do we mean when we say that God is just? What do we mean by that? So I'll give you four points. The most important ones will be the first two. So the first point, when we say that God is just, we mean, point number one, God is perfectly righteous. God is perfectly righteous in his treatments of his creatures. God shows no partiality. Let me say it again. God is perfectly righteous in his treatment of his creatures. God shows no partiality. Let me give you some scriptures. So that's not just a statement. And if you make the notes, try to think about it for a moment and think, do I agree with this statement? Would I agree with this statement to my knowledge, whatever my knowledge of the Bible is? Would I agree with this statement or I would actually disagree with this statement? So just give you extra, you know, a few seconds here and there. And as you're thinking, as you're thinking, you're trying to, you know, put your mind around this question, around, around the statement. You know, let's, talk, let's, let's turn to book of Acts chapter 10. Book of Acts chapter 10. God is perfectly righteous in his treatment of his creatures. God shows no partiality. Book of Acts chapter 10. And verse 34 and 35. Book of Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In true, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation... Whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. God is perfectly righteous in his treatment of his creatures. God shows no partiality. That's the first statement that I made. Now, let's go to Torah. Let's see if we can agree. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. And just one verse here. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4. Chapter 32, Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. So it reads like this. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of true and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Righteous and upward is he. And it says here, all his ways are justice. This is our God. So would you agree with the statement number one, that God is perfectly righteous in his treatment of his creatures? All right. Point number two. God is perfectly. Let me highlight this word perfectly. God is perfectly executing his judgment you can put in your brackets, vengeance as well, against the oppressors. God is perfectly executing his judgment against the oppressors. That's point number two. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And verse 6 to 9, just breaking into the context here. Just, I'm just making a statement 
And as you think about it, as you flip your Bible, would you agree with the statement or not? God is perfectly executing his judgment, his vengeance against his oppressors. So verse 6, breaking into the context. Since it's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulations those who trouble you and to give you who are trouble rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This shall be punished with everlasting distractions from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Let me give you another scripture. Let me repeat. God is perfectly executing his judgment against the oppressors. Okay. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Just the one verse here. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So that's the second point. God is perfectly executing his judgment, vengeance against the oppressors. Would you agree with this statement or not? And please welcome to disagree. Now, give me a third point. I said the first two are the most important ones, but let me give you two more. Point number three. God is, God is just, God is just in meeting our rewards. God is just in meeting our rewards. I would you just give you one scripture for that. Hebrew chapter 6. Hebrew chapter 6. God is just in meeting our rewards. So Hebrew chapter 6 and just one verse here. Hebrew chapter 6 and verse 10. For God is not unjust to forget your works and labor of love which you have shown towards his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God is just in meeting our rewards. Now let me go to the last point here. The last point is God is just in meeting our punishment. Not just reward. God is just in meeting our punishment. And this time we'll go to the Colossians chapter 3, verse 25. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 25. So keep these things in mind. Would you agree whatever I'm saying so far? I'm giving you four points. Would you agree? Would you say yes beside it? Would you say no? Or would you say maybe? Or I'm not so sure yet. Okay? So the last one. God, God is just in meeting our punishment. Verse 25. Colossians chapter 3, verse 25. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. So now, what I want to do here. For the rest of this, on my sermon, whatever time I have left, I want to present to you a case study. We're going to go through some biblical past experience that we can see, that we can experience God's justice at work. And just to see what we can learn. God's, God's justice at work, and it will come back to these four points that I gave it to you at the beginning, okay? So, a key study, and I 
pick and choose. There are so many throughout this book, but I picked the one that I would say almost every person listening is very familiar to this thing. I will talk about the, the Exodus Passover. The Exodus Passover. That's what I want to present as a case study, and I want to present it as a God's judgment at work. God's judgments at work. So we go into these details and we'll see how God thinks, how God executes his judgment, what God thinks, why he thinks whatever way he thinks, and why he's acting the way he's acting. And we have a greater, deeper understanding in this topic about God's justice. So I would go right away to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. So we go to the end of the case study, and then we go to the beginning of the case study. I will cover as much as territory as we possibly can. But we all understand the story. We all know what's happened there. So it's an e easy case study. We don't have to go through so many details. We don't have to bring so many scriptures. So, you know, it will be much easier for you to understand. It will be much easier for us to analyze. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 29 and 30. Exodus chapter 12, verse 29 and 30. So here, here it is. The greatest story, almost the greatest story ever told in the Bible. It's right here. The greatest judgments of all right here. <clears throat> Just look what happened here. Exodus chapter 12, verse 29. It came to pass... At midnight, that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. Verse 30. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great, great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not, where there was not one dead. So just think about it for the for the moment, right? As we're reading this story, <clears throat> if we try to analyze, you know, we say that God is perfect. Whatever he does, everything is just. It's perfect. So when you analyze the story, when you read this story, some questions to ponder, okay? Some questions to ponder in your head. Did all the firstborn Egyptians deserve to die? Did all the firstborn Egyptians deserve to die? And let's go a little bit farther. How about the babies? Did they deserve to die? Another question. Which is so relevant for people in 21st centuries, right? Many, many people now, and especially in Western society, we love our animals more than we love other human beings. Why the animals deserve to die? Why the animals deserve to die? Did the all firstborn Egyptians deserve to die, especially the babies? Why the animals deserve to die? Many people, especially unbelievers, will read to you verses like that and say, where is your just God? What kind of judgment your God is all about. How can he punish babies, innocent people? We, as a Christian, need to understand God's mind. 
and answer these questions. Exodus chapter 7. Go back to Exodus chapter 7. This is a key stuff. We're going to go through, through Exodus to some of the scriptures to understand. Exodus chapter 7. It was read to us by brother Daniel. But just read it again now. From it. Now we know what we are reading now, right? We know the context now. Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of this land. Verse 3. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my sign and my wonders in the land of Egypt. I, I will harden Pharaoh's heart to multiply my wonders in Egypt. By Pharaoh will not heed it will not heed you so that I may lay hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. And look what it says next. I will not just, just bring these people out of Egypt, but it says, by a great judgment, a great judgment, not a horrible judgment. I will bring my people by a great judgment. That's, what, that's what's in your body. By a great judgment, right? Now, again, questions. How can God harden Pharaoh's heart and then judge him for that? What kind of God you serve? God is hardening your heart and he's blaming him and he's blaming you that you're not obedient to him, right? That's some, some people might ask you questions like that. How is that possible? Now, how do you answer? How do we understand the mind of God? That's what we do in this case study. And as we read in verse 4, how can you call it a great judgment that every single first, firstborn, no matter what the age, 90 years old, 70 years old, 60, 50, 3 months old, 1 year old, animal or a person just died? How can you call it a great judgment? And on top of that, it's a one thing when outsiders point to the scriptures like that and say that our God is not just at all. The other thing is that when brethren in the church to point to scriptures like that and say the same thing, we are in trouble. For outsiders to ask questions like that is understandable. For converted Christians, yeah, I, I might understand you might, you might be new in new church, you might be new at this thing, and some of, some of these things are not easy. I agree. Some of these things to understand are not easy. They don't, they don't just come overnight. It takes years, years, weeks, months of study, you know, and doing all the other things to just to comprehend it. It's a big book. Just to, as I said, understand God, one of his attributes. It will take forever to study it. It will not, because of the limit of our minds, we will not be able to comprehend all of these things. But in this case, how can he say it's a great judgment? How can he say it? So let me ask you again. Remember, I gave you four points. Let me quickly repeat the four points that I mentioned to you. Okay? God is perfectly righteous in his treatment of his creature. God shows no partiality. Would you agree now or no? Or still hesitant? Point two. God is perfectly executing his judgment vengeance against the oppressors. Three. God is just, God is just in meeting our rewards. Points four. God is just in meeting our punishment. Would you agree with these points? 
at this time, at this point of my message, are we still hesitant? Yes, no, maybe. So let's let's just do again at this case study, okay? Take case study, we're talking about the Egyptians' Passover. But we need to go to the beginning of the story to understand God's mind, okay? We need to go to the beginning of the story to understand God's mind. Otherwise, we might be confused. So let's go to the beginning to understand what's happened there, okay? The Passover didn't start in Egypt. The Passover started way over back in Genesis chapter 15. So turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 is actually the first recorded Passover ever happened in the Bible. First recorded Passover in your Bible is right here, Genesis chapter 15. So we're not going to cover that. We don't have time for it. But as you read the details, what happens specifically on the, each day, the next day, and the sacrifices, confirming of the covenant and all these things, this is exactly God's first Passover. Our God is God of a timing. That's why we celebrate God's holidays, because there are appointed time. Things happen on God's timing, not on our timing, on God's timing. But here, we're just going to cover just a few verses. Uh, let's start from 13 and 14. Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. This is the beginning of the Exodus story, okay? Keep this thing in mind. This is a case study. We're trying to study and analyze God's mind. Verse 13, then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs and will serve them. And they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. Abram, he's not even Abraham. He's just Abram. He doesn't have any children yet. This is the promise that God is making to Abram. Skip to verse 16. The same chapter, verse 16. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. Look for this part. Look for this part. This is very important, okay? For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. What does it say? I can't go now. I cannot give you this land right now. Because their sinfulness hasn't reached the top yet. And just because of that, I cannot judge them now. I cannot dispossess them at this point. We have to wait till their sinfulness is going to reach the point of no return. Our God is just God. We might not understand it. We might question, you know, some of his decisions, some of his judgments. But our God is a just God. Always. Period. And our God can, can look at events from generations to generations. For centuries, we can't. We can't. We need to remember this. We have limitations. God doesn't, okay? So this is God. This is God about to pronounce a judgment, right? This is the beginning of the Exodus story right here in Genesis chapter 15. This is what he's saying to Abram. It's happened to his fourth generation. It's way ahead of whatever. That is God making a judgment. Now, let's go back to Exodus chapter 1. So you know the beginning, right? You know God's mind, what happened at the beginning, what he told Abram. Because the Passover, Exodus Passover, doesn't actually start in Exodus. It starts in Genesis. 
Exodus chapter 1. Let's read verses 7 to 10. Exodus chapter 1, 7 to 10. Now we go. The children of Israel are in Egypt, and they're about to be in a bondage. Okay? Just right, right before the deliverance from Egypt. Verse 7. Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we are. Come, let us, let, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us. And so go up out of the land. So put yourself shoes, put, no, put yourself in the Egyptian shoes for a moment here. OK, let's say you are a president of, of actually any country. You can put yourself in, let's say, in Canada. You're the prime minister or you're one of the minister. You're one of the advisor. So let's say you allowed a bunch of nationalities. Let's say like me, I came from Poland. And let's say you allow them, let's say, by the thousands. So let's say one year something happened. There is a war over there and you just, you know, you open your border and, you know, let's say mass immigration is happening. So let's say 1 million people of my descent come here or 2 million people. After 10 years, after 20 years, people multiply just exceedingly. And you see it now suddenly we are 10, 10 million people, 50 million people. Now as a, as a head of a nation, let's say Canada, the population is about 30 or so million people, a little bit higher. What would you do? There is a problem. Right? You can't admit it. There is a problem brewing right in front of your nose. So in this case here, the Israelites were a numbering Egyptians. Okay, not just in numbers, but as we read, in a physical strength too. It's not just the numbers, but a physical, physical strength. So again, if you're the leader of the Egyptian, of Egypt, you would naturally have concern about the situations. Who would? Whether you're in the States, in Germany, you should have concern about the situation. What would you do? See, the Israelites were doing all the work, the physical work. And just think for a moment. If let's say they would just rebel for a moment, right? Egypt could not afford to lose a cheap labor. If they would just say, go and say, we're going on strike. We demand a higher wages. How would you control? Second. What if Egypt gets into the war, one of these you know, neighbor nations, or one of the other empire is arousing, right? And the other empire, empire say, hey, you come and fight with us, we'll pay you more money. You can live whatever you want to live, we increase your wages, you can do whatever you want to do. What would you do? Wouldn't you be afraid that these people living you know, in your backyards, so to speak, would just rebel against you and join your enemy? Something that's a real, that's a serious political, economic, and social issues of that time for Egypt. So they were looking for a solution. Just as we today, on a political arena, we are looking for a solution, right? So in case of Egypt, this is the solution that they found. And as you read them, 
I want you to think about the solution because this didn't just happen like centuries, millennia ago. This solution, what Egypt does, actually, we're still implementing them today all over the place across the board in many countries, in many countries that we call democracies. We still apply the same solutions, okay? But let's read it. Let's read it carefully. Let's look at the possible solution, the possible solution that Egyptian government is looking at. Let's read, let's read, read verse 11 through 16 now. So Exodus chapter 1, the same chapter, verse 11 through 16. Therefore they set taskmaster over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they shall build for Pharaoh supply cities, right? Verse 12. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, in bricks, in all the manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was, was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom, of whom the name of the was. We don't need to worry about the names. Verse 16, and he said, when, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew woman and see them on the, on the, on the bird stool, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, then she shall live. Let's stop here for a moment. Let's just analyze here, here what we just read. First, so Egypt, okay, as a government, as a secular government, come with a solution. What's the first solution? Enslave them. It's much easier to control a bigger chunk of populations if we enslave them. And I told you before, you will think that, you know, in today's days, days and age, we don't do, we don't practice something like that. Yes, we do. What is the easier way to control the populations? To enslave them, huh? Give them mortgages, give them credits, you know, give them all the stuff. So they'll be quiet. They'll be quiet. They'll have to go and pay the bills. They'll not have time to rebel. And on top of that, confuse them. You all the social agendas happening around, just show as many as you can. So the people will be so discouraged. They'll be not less and will be easier to control. People have no clue, no idea what to do. Still do the same thing what Egypt did back then, okay? That was the first solution, just enslave them, because once you enslave them, it's easier to control, much easier to control than free people, right? When you can speak up your mind. What's the second, what's the second solution? Oh, this is practiced all over the place. What's the second solution? Birth control. If we control the population's demographic, especially the male birth rate, we are, we are able to fully control the populations, right? So... If you did reduce the how many babies boys are, are born, so we don't have to afraid when they grow up, they'll be strong and powerful genetically. So we won't have to be afraid of them. Just give us another 10 years. And you know what? The, the, all, this, all of these things gonna turn in our way, in our favor. That's the best, the quickest solution to the Egyptians' problem, right? Politically, socially, they have a perfect solution. Perfect solution that today many governments try to implement exactly. The same solution. Now, all this policy sounded good, but the practice did not work. Why it didn't work? Because that was against God's judgment. That was against God's judgment. And let's say you are the Israelites. And let's say, hey, I want to rebel against the Egyptians because it's not fair. I am a slave and I'm sick and tired of doing this thing. You can rebel. What would happen? Moses tried to take the justice into their own hands. He killed the Egyptians. What happened? He was exiled. God timing. 
Not your timing, God timing. So be careful how we do it, what we do it, and why we do it. We need to understand. We need to study. We need to know and understand what is God's mind when it comes to justice. Without these things, we'll be lost trying to define what is social justice for, let's say, a country like Canada or the United States. How would you know what is social justice all about? Wouldn't know. Now, the same chapter, Exodus chapter 1, let's read verse 21 and 22. And pay attention. This is important. Okay, pay attention. Exodus chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. And so it was, because the midwives fear God that he provided households for them. Next verse. Next verse. So first plan kind of is failing when it comes to the abortions issue, right? Or demographic or controlling the birth control issues. There's so they have to adapt. Some things think don't work. The government needs to adapt. There is a second solution. So Pharaoh commanded how many Egyptians? Read in your Bible. What does it say? How many commandments? How many, how many, how many people in Egypt he commanded it? Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Huh. It's not just the midwives responsible for the birth control. Now Pharaoh says, This is a charge for every single Egyptian. You know, you're a citizen of Egypt. This is in your best interest, and this is what I want you to do. Every slave in your home which gives a birth to a son, it's your responsibility to kill it. Does it say anything in verse 23 that people rebel against this edict? Does it say here in verse 23 as you look in your Bible? There is no verse 23. Did people say they did not agree with this command? Sometimes we read the Bible and we miss little points like that. How can God be so unjust doing such a horrible thing? God is not that vicious. That it is his pleasure to just go about and kill thousands of millions of people. But he can't ignore sin either. And we have to be aware of it. So here, it was not only government. It was not only government involved in the mass killing of the Hebrew babies. In this case, where all the people who were charged with this task, and there was no much objection, objections from them either. The midwives could not accomplish this task, so the people were asked to help, and they gladly participated. And, you know, only God knows how many babies, the Hebrew babies, were thrown to the water to drown, or be eaten by the crocodiles. Or be killed during the birth. Only God knows. We don't have the records here in this Bible. Don't have records provided us. So again, we're doing a case study. We go forward and back to the beginning, to the end, picking from the middle. We're going all over the page. But everything is about the exodus from Egypt. So let's catch a breath here and ask a question. What is a just God to do? about this horrific, tragic behavior with which is right. What is a just God to do about this horrific and tragic behavior? Can God, can God ignore something like that? 
Can he just close his eyes and say, just let it fly? If God is about to punish the nation, what punishment would be just? What punishment would be just? Remember, the whole nation of Egypt was involved in this horrible thing. Whole nation of Egypt. Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, verse 5 and 8. We know the story. Now we go to the case study again. We, we need to gather to pick up more information so we can learn about the mind of God, so we can understand how his judgment comes about, right? We need to pick up additional information. Exodus chapter 2, verse 5. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw a child. And behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew, from, from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So, so, she, so the maiden went and called the child's mother. This is the beginning. This is the beginning of God's justice at work. This is an incredible story, brother. When you really, really try to analyze it, it's an incredible story. The member of the government, the member, the daughter of Pharaoh, the member of the government, they proclaim such a horrific loss, okay, save a child who will bring the same government to its knees. This is God's justice. Not your justice, not my justice. This is God's justice at work, okay? God's justice sometimes is a long process, consuming a lot of time. And in this case, the justice had to wait till Moses become a grown man. A very grown man, not just a grown man, an old man. How old? 80 years old. These people had to wait for God's justice. But this is God's mind. This is God's justice at work. Why do we need to do this? Why do we need to study this thing? Because we need to understand, right? If you want to glory into something, you glory in this. That you understand how God thinks, you understand how God acts, you understand how, how God, how, how, how he might operate. That's what God said. That's what we read in Jeremiah at the beginning of the scripture, right? At the beginning of my message. So now, how, how incredible the story is, right? So let's go to the same passage. We already read it twice. Daniel read it at the beginning. I read it to you once. Now read this passage again, Exodus chapter 7, but now with all these additional informations that we have. Exodus chapter 7 and verse 1. Exodus chapter 7 and verse 1. And we're going to read to the same verses, 1 to 4. So the Lord says to Moses, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. You see why? He was saved by the Pharaoh's daughter. Now, 
things is turning around. It's not this fairness control. You're going to be in control of fair. You're going to be actually in control of everything. I made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. A slave, a slave telling the orders to the Pharaoh, to the most powerful human being on earth at that time. Because it's God's justice at work, not mine or yours, okay? This is God's justice at work. And I will harden, verse 3, Pharaoh's heart, and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not hit you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by a great judgment. This is a great judgment. This is an awesome judgment. Without this thing, we'll be not able to understand how God's operate. What God's justice is all about. We shouldn't even know. We wouldn't have a clue. This is a great judgment, brethren. Now, why did God, why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Pharaoh's heart was already hard. Already. He, he had a chance to, you know, repent and say, listen, let him just go. I know my sins. I know what I did. I was as a nation what we did. He knew this thing. Did God really have to harden his heart? But what he did? Why? Why? Think about it. Three points. Why God did this thing, right? Why God did this thing to Pharaoh? First point. They killed the weakest, the most vulnerable members of the society in the most hateful manner. Right? Killing the babies is easy. They can defend themselves. That's what they did. Point two. On top of that, they enslaved people for many, many years. Enslaved people for many, many years. People who brought so much blessings to this land. Point three. Because of that, they have become very, very wealthy by the use of cheap labor, slave labor, slave labor. Was that punishment? Was that a just punishment what God did? Justice demand that price be paid. Now, as we go deeper into this key study, we try to understand God's mind, right? How do we know that all the plagues that hit Egypt were divine justice? How do we know that? It's easy. Remember, what was the first plague that hit Egypt? What was the first plague that hit Egypt? Same chapter, Exodus chapter 7, look at verse 17. Exodus chapter 7, verse 17 and 18. Thus says the Lord, by this, see, by this, He's talking. He's talking. Remember, he was talking to the Pharaoh. By this, you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink, and the Egyptians will look to drink the water of the river. Think about it. God took the river into a blood and gave the Egyptians to drink it. Why the river? Why the blood? It was the place where there were countless numbers of babies drowned, killed, you know, and thrown and eaten by the animals. This is God's divine judgment. 
You wanted blood? There you go. You drink it. You drink it now. That's the first judgment that God pointed on the nation of Egypt. That's what he did. And many Egyptians would probably would go back and say like, wow, I remember what we did. All this thing is coming back. Exodus chapter 11. Let's go back to a case study. Exodus chapter 11. You're going to read it. We'll be reading verses 3 to 6. Exodus chapter 11, verse 3. And the Lord, and the Lord, and the Lord give people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, in the sight of the people. Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant, who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. And there should be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. Wow. The last warning. The last judgment. Did God overdo it? Did God did it because of his hatred to the Egyptians? But it was a just punishment. From the top to the bottom, no exceptions, no social status. Whether you're a prince or princess, or it's a simple worker, no matter who you are, social status does not matter. Race did not matter. Egyptians kill most, almost every of the male-born babies. But God destroyed only the firstborn. Egyptians killed most of the Hebrew male boys. God destroyed only the firstborn of Egypt. So, that was the case study. So I, I took you to the end. I took you to the beginning. I took you to the midst of it. Just hoping that we could see, as we analyze this text, that we come to a greater understanding how God's mind works when it comes to justice. Let's go back to the points that I gave you at the beginning one more time. What would you say now? God is perfectly righteous in his treatment of his creatures. God shows no partiality. Yes, no, maybe. I still need more evidence. Point two. God is perfectly executing his judgment, his vengeance against the oppressors. Would you say yes? Would you say no? Would you say maybe? Point three. God is just in meeting our reward. rewards. God is just in meeting our rewards. Point four, God is just in meeting our punishments. So now, as we are coming here closer to a conclusion, I think there are some very critical points 
from the case study that we could learn that would be very beneficial how we supposed to behave in this day and age in 21st century. Because some of the techniques that I said used by government, I still practice even till this day. And all this information is very relevant for us. It's not some ancient text, useless. It's very useful for us. For God's children, every text is useful for us if we try to figure it out how my God, how God's minds work. To know him and to understand him. If we want to glory in something, glory in this. That's God's words, not mine. Now, what can we learn from this case study? Just this one case study. What can we learn? The most important lessons that we can take from all of this, I think, for me, make sure that you are at the right side. Make sure that you are at the right side. Look at this Exodus story, right? Make sure that you're at the right side. There are some Egyptians who came to the conclusion that you can't fight against this God. Moses right. I better change the side. I better cross over over the river. Make sure as you try to pick up your fight with the social justice that you're going to end up on the right side. Because doing this thing, we might as well end up on the other and receive the punishment, the justice that God is sending. As we fight for this justice, we might be surprised that God's justice is after us. Let me give you some scriptures here. So, some of the critical points, lessons that we can learn from here. Make sure you're at the right side. Matthew chapter 7. Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. Let me check my time here. I still have plenty of time, so Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. I'm going to read 21 and 23. Look, look, look to this thing. There are many Christians today who claim to be Christians. You know, there are many Christians who call themselves after Christ's names. But we should know that, right? We should know that. It's right here in the text. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So the first question is, whatever you do for whatever you want to fight, you have to ask yourself, am I doing the will of my Father, or I am actually against the will of my Father? Okay? Keep reading. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name. And then many wonders in your name. And verse 23. And then I will declare to them. I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. Wow. You who practice lawlessness. If you think you're going to implement your own justice. Through the wicked way. Abusing God's commandments. And you think that God will be happy whatever you're doing. is This is how you're going to end up. This is how you're going to end up. The Lord's going to say to you, I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. Okay? Now, on the same, on the same point, make sure that you're at the right side. Okay? 
Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, just one verse here, but it's a very critical verse, okay? It gives us the background to the next verse that I'm going to go in Matthew. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 6. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 6. Pay attention to this verse. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a milestone were hanged around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Because you're known or unknown actions, you can make one of the little ones who believe in Christ to sin. Watch out. It would be actually better for you if you didn't know Christ. Much better. But if you do this thing, you are under God's judgment. That's the worst place that we don't want to be. Okay? So this background, the little ones, not to offend, not to cause a little one to sin. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. And verse 31. We're going to read some scriptures here. going to go quickly to them. But just pay attention to the one verse that you read in Matthew chapter 18, right? The little ones. Okay, here. Matthew chapter 25. Verse 31 to 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those, into, to those on his right hand, Come. You blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the beginning of the world. And look what is how Christ said, verse 35. For if I was hungry, when I was hungry, you gave me food. Now in 21st century, Christ is all gone. But his words are still applicable to us. How? Because we have the little ones. Right? Every member who is in your church, every member who is part of God's church, is part of the little one. Okay, so this is not about giving food directly to Christ. This is about giving something, helping your brothers and sisters in needs. Not other people, your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what it says here. Look what Christ is saying. Right? Let's just read it again. For I was hungry, verse 35, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was strangers, and you took me in. Verse 36, I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you were hungry and feed you and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did you see you are strangers and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king, and the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did in one, into one of the least of these my brethren, you did it. You did it to me. You see? Make sure that you're on the right side. Because this is so much important to have a social justice in your congregation, okay? Even among the congregations of God's people, then have a social justice across the street. At least that's the word of God, okay? This is the more important. This is the priority number one over everything else, okay? 
It's good to have a ministry and visit people who are committed for different crime in prison and let's say talk to them and maybe hopefully, okay, they're going to turn to God. It's great to have ministry like that. But the scriptures doesn't say that. But what a courage it takes to go to a prison to visit somebody who was arrested for preaching the doctrine and serve to these people. That's what Christ is calling for. That's a brotherly love. That's the justice that God is calling for. Not your justice or my justice. His justice. Let's just keep quickly to verse 45. Because there are some people at the other end, right? All right. There are the goals. Verse 45. Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not to as inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of this, you did not do it to me. And this will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Wow. This is what the script says. This is what the Bible says. Not me. Not my inventions. Make sure. You stand on the right side. You are committed. You are loyal to your people. No matter what color of their skin, nationality, or whatever you might be. These are your brethren and your sisters. That's where you take care of them. First, before you want to be involved politically into something else. Point two. Don't, please, don't take justice into your own hands. Please don't take justice into your own hands. You know, we are all guilty of that. I am guilty of that. Because sometimes, you know, something is really ready here to explode. You're emotionally just, you know, it's very difficult to control. And the worst thing we can do in a situation like that, try to take justice into our own hands. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Uh, Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to read verse 16 to 20. Romans chapter 12, verse 16 to 20. says like this. Remember, be on the right side and don't take justice into your own hands. Verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Live peaceably with all men, especially with the brethren. Okay? Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give, give place to wrath, for it is written, for it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For its own doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not, verse 21, be overcome by evil, by overcome evil with good. This is our assignment. Okay? This is the part of the gospel of the kingdom for us as ambassador to Christ. This is where our loyalty is. This is where we are accountable toward each other and to Jesus Christ and to our Father in heaven. No one else. No government authority. No anybody else. This is for us. 
Anything else? Everything else. Jesus Christ will take care of. Make sure you stand on the right side. Don't take the judgment to your own hands. Point number three. God's judgments, as we just remember case study, right? God's judgment require his timing. The judgment's coming. We have evidence throughout the book, all over the place. God's judgment is coming. If you're not so sure, just read the book of the book of Revelation. The God's judgment is coming. And it's to require his timing. And I want to add to this timing. I want to add a one more word. A perfect timing. Our God is a God of a perfect timing. He shows at the perfect time. At his time. Not our time. Second Peter. Second Peter. Chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, we read verses 9 to 15. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 to 15. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all shall come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned, including human social justice system. Unfortunately. Okay? Therefore, we know this thing. It's written for us, therefore, since we, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for a hastening of the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, big on fire, and the elements will, be, will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwell. Okay? As long as we left in human here, in, in, in this flesh, among people who don't want to submit to God's authority, will have injustice all over the place. All over the place. It's been from the beginning and will be to the end. Always, the strongest will take advantage of the weaker one. This is our human history. That's why we have wars. Okay? You've never seen a wars that the weaker one goes to fight against the stronger ones. It's only the opposite. Now, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be finding him in peace without spot and, and blameless. Without spot and blameless. And consider that Long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, he wrote it, that some people have such a hard time to understand. God's judgments required his timing, perfect timing, and we just have to be faithful. The just shall live by faith. The last point here. And I, just to God's timing, just, you know, we can, you can write it. It's Exodus chapter 12, verse 41. I'm not going to go there for the sake of time. 
But if you read this verse, Exodus chapter 12 and verse, and verse 40, 41, you will see how the great multitude left Egypt on the same day, on the very same day of the self-same day that God connected to Exodus chapter 15, to Genesis chapter 15. Everything needs to work and be balanced on God's timing. Not on anybody, not Pharaoh's timing, not the government of the United States timing, not the government of Canada timing, not in your timing or my timing. Everything needs to be done on God's timing. So lead me to the, my last point. As we know all of this, this thing, then you know what? Just be patient. Be patient, but be also persistent. In God's justice, not your justice. Be patient, but be persistent. And I want to go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And there's a great parable that Christ is trying to share with us here. And it's such a powerful parable. Chapter 18, look at verse 1. So here, Luke 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 to 8. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was a certain city, a judge, who did not fear God nor regard men. Now there is a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. This by her continual coming, she worried me. Then, then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall, and shall God not avenge his own elect? Okay. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? Though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. He will avenge them speedily. But you need to be patient. You need to be persistent. You can't give up. You can't give up. Look what he says. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, and there is the question, okay? Here is the question. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Are we going to be patient enough? Are we going to throw everything because, you know, something because of our emotions, because whatever is happening, and we know we're going to throw everything, all our energy, everything that we have for some causes, that are not God causes. And by doing this, they lose our faith. Are we going to do this thing? Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verse 7. Break into the context, 7 to 11. Psalm 37, 7 to 11. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prosper in his way. Because of the men who break wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only cause Verse 9. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth. 
and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. God will take care of you. Just have faith. Skip down to verse 27. Move down to verse 27. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Do we believe in this point just as I mentioned to you? In conclusion, let me go back to the points that I presented to you, probably three or four times I didn't even remember, but let's go in conclusion one more time. Remember I said God, point number one, God is perfectly righteous in his treatment of his creatures. God shows no partiality. He knows what he's doing. Point number two, God is perfectly executing his judgment, his vengeance against the oppressors. Point three, God is just in meeting our rewards. God is just in meeting our punishment. Do we believe in it? Are we acting on it? It's true. Every human being wants to live peacefully. Every human being wants to have freedom. It's our heart desire to pursue justice. But many times we act on our instincts, we act on our emotions, and because of the emotions, all this turmoil that's happening in our body, we forget to stop and forget to remember that our mind sometimes is limited you are unable to comprehend whatever is going. Everything is going all around us. And it's easy. And it's easy to be absorbed something by more powerful than we are. But even more powerful than that is our God. And as long as we stay loyal, as long as we stay faithful, as long as we stay obedient to his word, we can never, ever make mistake. And I want to finish today with this last scripture here from John chapter 5. Gospel of John chapter 5. Gospel of John chapter 5. And what a, what a wonderful piece of verses that give me so much encouragement. You know, it's so hard to trust anybody in these days, even in people in church. You come to the point it's very difficult to trust human beings. But we can be assured one be Jesus Christ. Okay? John chapter 5. John chapter 5 and verse 21. John chapter 5 verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment all judgment to his son, that all should honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. 
Brethren, trust Christ. Trust Christ because you can trust his character. People can fail you. People will fail you. Be forgiving. But you can trust 100%. You can trust Christ. And we know that all his judgment is in his hand. We can be assured that his judgment will be 100% right. May God bless you all. Thank you for tuning in. And we appreciate your presence every Sabbath. So see you next week. God bless. Thank you, brother, for such a powerful and meaningful message. Uh, we appreciate uh, all the effort you put into that and how well you reflect the word of God in our lives and what a mirror it is for us to to analyze ourselves. May, may God be with us indeed. Well, thank you again. As, as uh, Deacon Jan said, thank you for joining us. We uh, certainly look forward to uh, you being back with us again next Sabbath at 2.30. Don't forget the uh, Wednesday study is on hiatus for a couple of weeks. And we look forward to being back together again, uh, God willing, next Sabbath for another message and an opportunity to worship together. As we do here on the, the online service, we'll close with prayer uh, now, and then we will proceed into the closing hymn. You'll see that again, the words come up on your screen from page 117 in our hymnals. We will sing through the love of God, our Savior, but first the closing prayer, if you'd all bow your heads. Father in heaven, we certainly are so grateful to you on this Sabbath day for opening your word to us. We thank you for allowing us to come into your presence. We ask you collectively to forgive us so that we may come into your presence before your throne and before that of Jesus Christ. And we're just so very grateful that you have called us, that we have answered that call, and that you continue to shine the light of your word in our lives and, and show us where we can be better. We certainly live in difficult times. We certainly live in times where without you and the, the, the faithfulness of you and your word, that we would be lost, that we would be stressed, that we would succumb to, to the pressures of this world. But it is because of your faithfulness and, and your justice and your, your persistent judgment that we can walk this life, that we, we can go through our trials, we can, can endure what goes on around us with confidence that your ways and your timing and all that you've promised us in your word will come to pass. We ask you to give us patience. We ask you to give us persistence, as we heard about here in this message, to wait for patiently for your timing and your judgment and your mercy and your justice. We thank you that, that you have this world in your hands and that you've promised throughout your scriptures that your, your plan will come to pass. Please give us patience and courage to walk our journey so that we may partake of your wondrous and glorious kingdom. Again, please, please forgive us. Please unite us. Please help us to work through uh, um, the, the trials that, that beset us. We certainly look forward to the coming holy days that start in just a little over a month. Please give us, give us, um, a passion for you to, to, to celebrate these feast days, despite the, the uh, times that we find ourselves in. Please give us the ability and the, the creativity to be able to worship you, 
in such a way that befits your great name and that of your son, Jesus Christ. We just ask for your dismissal here. Go with us uh, here this week. Uh, give us a wisdom and, and heal, heal our, our infirmities, both emotional and physical. And we just thank you for all these things. We're so grateful to you for your justice. We're grateful to you for your, your righteous judgment. And we just thank you for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord and King. Amen.